Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I want to talk what, what really happened on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, what, because Jesus went on a mission. When he rose from the dead, he went on a mission. And it was, I believe it was a very important mission. And all the optimism of this last three years, you imagine being those that walked and talked and, and experienced life with Jesus, that like the very first miracle that, that his disciples saw, he went to a wedding and he turned water into wine. You imagine their response, like this guy could be fun. <laughs> like, like he brings the party with him. And then they're seeing blind eyes healed. They're seeing the lame stand up and walk. They're seeing the deaf. They're seeing the deaf hear. They're seeing, they're, they're, they're seeing people that are, that are demonically possessed being delivered from demons. Can you imagine the anticipation after three years of seeing this on a regular basis? Like you, you give him a basket of food and he can feed 5,000 people. And then they collect 12 baskets of leftovers after. Like, this, this would be an exciting person to be around. And three years on, on Good Friday, three years, well, it was started on the Thursday, three years of anticipation and optimism came crashing down around them. And they witness the crucifixion and the death of Jesus. Here they are, without hope, without a leader, and they're literally fearing for their own lives, believe, worried that the, that the Pharisees are going to start hunting them down to kill them as well. And this is what we see in the life of Jesus before he resurrected is pretty dramatic. Now, now you think post-resurrection, post-resurrected Jesus, how much more dramatic is what Jesus, how much more? He's in a glorified body, a resurrected body. Now, what is he going to do? What do we find him doing? Like, we don't find him walking on water. We don't find him shooting lasers out of his eyes. We don't find him signing copies of his biography, Magical Me. That's a little Harry Potter joke for those of you that are fans. But we do find him on a mission. We find him on a mission, and the mission, I believe, was the most important mission of his entire ministry. And you can see by the number of encounters on that first Sunday, he took this mission very seriously. And this was a mission to restore hope in his followers. It was a mission to restore, uh, restore hope in those who, who were sitting in disappointment, were sitting in bitterness, and sitting uh, who, who had just witnessed everything all their dreams come crashing down around them. And I believe that in this time, God wants to restore hope. I believe that in, in the church, in the world of, of humanity, in the world of faith, God wants to restore hope in the lives of people. He's, he's always been on a mission 
to restore hope. He's always been on a mission. And the, the enemy, the enemy is on a mission too. He's on a mission to destroy hope. He's on a mission to destroy truth. He's on a mission to destroy love and life and faith. And as we, we just finished the series on Live No Lies, we saw the enemy's primary attack in our lives, it's in the realm of ideas. Because if you can get someone to believe a wrong idea, they will restrict themselves. You know the roller coaster ride of the last two years? It's been hard on a lot of people, hasn't it? It's been hard on, it's been hard on me. I don't know about you. Maybe you have more faith than I have. But it's been hard on me. And, in, and as we're able to gather again and as we're able to kind of have a sense of normalcy in life, it's, it's interesting in conversation with people. A lot of people I, I've talked to, they kind of make statements that, that sound kind of like this. You know, this is good, but I don't want to get my hopes up. Have you found yourself saying that? You know, this is great, but I don't know if I can trust. I don't want to get my hopes up. I don't, I don't know if I can trust my government. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can trust what I read in the news. I don't want to get my hopes up. And I understand at the same time, something feels wrong to admit I want to live without hope. To admit I don't want to get my hope. It's kind of like saying I'm okay losing. You know, we're going to play this game and I don't mind if I lose. I always mind if I lose. That's why we have a thing called dynamic rules. They just change to whatever makes me win. <laughs> That's just a joke. Almost. And you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't compare that situation. Uh, I wouldn't compare our situation to, to, of today necessarily to that that the disciples were facing and the disappointment. But at, and the, but at the same time, it has the same effect on us psychologically. It has the same effect on us in our faith. It has the same effect on us in, in the way we make choices to live. If we accept, if we, if, we, if we allow ourselves to give up on hope, we're not going to be making the best choices that take us forward into God's best. Now, Jesus went on a mission. It was a mission to restore hope into, the, into those that were closest to him. And so how does it start? We first, we see him appear, appearing to Mary in the garden. And he says, go tell the others that I'm back. And then we find him walking. We, we find him joining two of the disciples. We're, uh, we're walking on a road to Emmaus. And we find him, we find him walking with them. And he, he takes the time to walk and talk and explain the scriptures, explain the prophecies, explain the role of the Messiah in scripture. He begins to teach them. And then he appears to the disciples behind locked doors. Now, this was dramatic. This was a new miracle. He started using the teleportation technology. <laughs> and he shows up at the beach 
to Peter and the disciples to let them know that they hadn't lost their call, that he hadn't given up on them. He prepared a meal for them. And I like the, the one, I think it's in the gospel, I think it's in the gospel of Luke where it says, Jesus had prepared a meal, and it, and it just kind of goes through this whole profound kind of thing of what Jesus did, and it says, then they ate it. It's just like this regular, Jesus just showed up in the, in the regular every day of their life and began to restore hope to their situations. 1 Corinthians 13, it says three things will last forever, forever faith, hope, and love. And it says the greatest of these is love, but the other two are still important. Faith and hope. We need hope to, to be able. It's one, of the, it's one of the three key ingredients of our faith. And Easter Sunday, it's a Sunday about hope. It's about the faithfulness of God in the most impossible of situations. It's about how he can pull things off that we can't. But it's also about how we can rely on him in the darkest of times. It's an essential element of our faith. We can't live well without hope. Hope, hope is a spiritual quality that's essential to our walk with God. But where does hope come from? Hope's kind of a funny, there's lots of teaching on faith in the church. It's really funny because as I'm researching and studying for this message, I'm, okay, there's lots, of, I, I could preach on faith for 17 years. <laughs> and love, I mean, I mean, love is love. Like you just, you can teach on love all day long. And there's so much teaching on love. I mean, there's entire ministries and books, and courses, love, easy to teach on, but hope. When was the last time you actually read a book about hope? It's kind of like the, it's kind of, well, we hope we have hope. <laughs> you know, you make prayers with your fingers crossed. Well, I hope it turns out, but is that really hope? Like just the you know, go buy a lottery ticket and hope you win? Like, is that, is that what hope is? I think when, when God says there's three key ingredients, I think he's talking about more than just crossing our fingers. I think there's more to it than just, you know, hope for the best. And that's plastic, so it won't even work. Hope is a key ingredient of a vital, of a vibrant faith. Matthew, or the, the first thing, the first thing we learn about hope is hope is not an outcome, but hope is a person. Hope is not an outcome. And I think a lot of times where our faith can get derailed is when we put our hope in outcomes. Well, if it turns out this way, then I'll believe in God. Or if this happens, then I'll know that God's real. And it's like, it's like the person who's like, well, I'm going on holidays. Monica and I have this conversation all the time. And she's just like, I'm going to pray that there's no rain for our holiday. And I'm just like, you can't do that. <laughs> she's like, I can do it. You know, like Monica, Enneagram 8, it's like she can do whatever the heck she wants. <laughs> like that is... It's like, you telling me what I can do? You telling me what I can do? 
I'll tell you what you can tell me. <laughs> the kids know exactly. And I'm like, you can't do that. Like, there's 10 farmers praying for rain. You can't override. Like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. But a lot of times, isn't this, but it's like we put our hope on, you know, I didn't get a good holiday, so, you know, I've lost my faith in Jesus. The resurrection has lost its power because I had to sit through two days of rain in Cancun. Where am I? This is not in my notes. <clears throat> Hope is a person. Hope is a person. It's not an outcome. It's not, we're not looking for a certain thing to happen, and that validates our faith. We're looking to know a certain person. And the resiliency of character and faith that comes in us, it only comes in us as we get to know the person of Jesus. That hope grows not because things turn out like we want all the time. Hope grows because we get to know the author of hope. This is Matthew 12, 21. It says, all the world will find it's hope in his name. In his name. Romans 15, Paul said, I pray that God, the source of hope. Who's the source of hope? God is the source of hope. I pray that he will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. He's writing this to people who are dying. This is the Roman church. They're being set on fire as party favors. Because Nero's a psychopath. And he's saying, I'm, I'm praying that God, the source of hope, will fill you with joy and peace as you burn. <laughs> as, you watch your, as you watch your neighbors die for their faith, I'm praying that the God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. And then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings confident hope. You know, there's a lot of things that our hope has been resting on in the last, I think in the, as a society, our, we've allowed our hope to rest on a lot of things that we've discovered in the last couple of years are very, very fragile things. Man-made hope is more of an illusion than we were, than we were understanding. It was more fragile. And that's because hope comes from God. And hope that strengthens us spiritually, it's not hope that, that is because we have our life turn out a certain way. It's hope that's because of what we're filling our lives with, who we're filling our lives with. And we'll face many events in our life where outcomes, they won't be ex what we expected or even what we wanted. But in the midst of that, we can still be filled with the spirit of the one who brings hope to our lives. We can put hope in his promise. This is why he gave us promises. Romans 8 where it says we're confident that God is able to orchestrate everything to work towards something good. It doesn't say that everything will be good. It just says we can be confident that God will work everything 
He will orchestrate everything to work towards something good and beautiful when we love him and we accept his invitation to live according to his plan. Love or hope is a person. And as we get to know that person, hope grows. Hope takes root. Although, 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 although truth. (laughs) Also, truth brings hope. Truth brings hope. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Truth brings freedom, and freedom brings hope. What's interesting is that in the context of that, you know you will know the truth. What he said right before that is if you listen to what I say and then you do it, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So it's not just knowledge, it's actually doing what he says that brings a knowledge of truth, that brings freedom. And with freedom comes hope. And hope, hope is also found in the assurance that if we are striving to do what he said, we are going to become free. If we are striving to follow his teaching, you're going to, be, you, you're going to continually live in a greater level of freedom in your life. So wh- why does truth seem to be under such attack in our society today? There just seems to be such, there seems to be such an assault on truth, doesn't there? You don't even know it's true anymore. Like, how many have given, have given up on the news? Like, you just, it's just like, I don't want to be skeptical. It's just like, I don't even turn it on because it's just like, I don't know if you're telling the truth. So how can I, I, it's like, have you watched this article or have you watched this documentary or have you watched, it's like, no. Because I don't know if it's true. And it's so hard to verify things now. Why is there such an attack on truth? Well, because the enemy knows that if we question truth, we lose our freedom. If we don't have truth working in us, then we stop having freedom in our lives. It starts to bring us into bondage. It's, it's funny how we live, you know, society tends to treat the scriptures as kind of this antiquated, outdated, old-fashioned, fuddy-duddy way of living. You know, the, the commands of the Bible, the, the rules in the Bible, those are just, I mean, those are for squares, like people that, squares. <laughs> That's what the young folks say today, though, too. <laughs> Maybe not. I have no long. I no longer try to be considered one of the young folk any longer. <clears throat> I'm just square. What's really interesting is watching the progression of societies. If you look back over, uh, especially like Western societies, which Western society actually started 2,000 years ago, but the. Watching the progression is that in, in, the, in the history of nations and Christianity is we start off very diligent to follow Scripture. We, societies, we, we start off very diligent to, to follow the teachings of Scripture, and then we become smarter than the Scriptures. 
And so we start to say, well, those rules are just, you know, we're more enlightened now. We don't need to do that stuff. We can just make up our own rules. And, and then what happens is society crumbles and falls apart and has massive crises. And then people, all the society returns back to following the scriptures. And this, is, this has really happened in Western society for 2,000 years. And there's, there's these massive returnings. Maybe, maybe I like what John Mark Comer in the book, Live No Lies, he said, what if, about Jesus, he said, consider this, what if Jesus knew the true nature of reality better than we do? What if his perception was more acute than Steven Pinker or Sam Harris or Stephen Hawking? What if he was the most intelligent teacher to ever live? And his insight into the problems and solutions of the human condition is the most piercing to date. What if our Western world is actually blind to a whole dimension of reality? You know, Jesus came to teach us how to walk in truth. And our primary war in our lives, our primary war, this came out of this last series, the primary war we fight is the war to live in truth over lives, over lies, to believe truth over lies. The enemy comes, has God really said? Do you really need to obey? Maybe God's just holding out on you. It's the very first lie in the garden. God told you not to eat that fruit because he knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll become like him. He started tempting. First it's with a question, then it's with a lie. First it's, well, God said don't do this because he wanted to restrict your life. When the truth of the matter is God did that because he wanted to preserve their life. And the commands that we find, the instructions that we find in, in Scripture, they're not commands to restrict us, they're commands to liberate us. Okay, moving right along, Mike, because you're going to run out of time. The third thing that builds, that builds hope is healthy community living. Healthy community living builds hope or it breaks it down. Unhealthy community living or lack of community living breaks down hope. It's really interesting is that of all the encounters with Jesus, on that first day, all the encounters were with people that were together in a group. It was Mary, Mary, and Joanna who went to the tomb. It was uh, the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Cleopas is it's the one guy. The other guy's unnamed. So unless somebody knows some secret knowledge. But the, and then the disciples, as they're gathered in a room, the disciples, he appeared at two dinners. That's pretty cool. Shows the importance of eating. But there's something about, about being together. In Ephesians 4, Paul warns, he warns the church, don't adopt the hopeless ways of the world around you. Don't adopt the, and we're, let's, let's look at this. Ephesians 4, 17, it says, he says, with the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do. And Gentiles is basically those who don't follow God. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. 
hopelessly confused. Man, what an apt description for the world around us right now. It's like we're looking for answers from the hopelessly confused. He's saying, don't look to the hopelessly confused for your answers. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Wow, it's just like YouTube. <clears throat> you know, the, they attribute the explosion of the internet. It's not to knowledge. It's not to information. You know what they attribute the primary drive behind the explosion of the internet on planet Earth to? Pornography. Pornography. That is the underlying driving force of what caused the internet to grow to the size that it has grown. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. I'm not trying to diss on. I'm trying to say, if we look to the world to fix our problems, we're just going to end up with the problems that the world has. And maybe the commands and the instructions that we were given, they weren't so we could sit here and say, we're smarter than that now. Maybe it's because we're never smarter than that. People don't change. Humanity doesn't change. We're essentially, we, we essentially reason the same way people reasoned 2,000 years ago. Temptation is still temptation. Then he goes on. Keep talking, Mike. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Throw it off, which is corrupted by lust and deception, and instead let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then he goes on to talk about how do you put on your new nature? Because that's a that's a pretty ethereal concept. You know, put on a new nature. Well, how do I do that? Well, he goes on to explain. Here's how you do it. Here's how you live in your new nature. Verse 25: stop telling lies. <laughs> tell the truth. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Then he goes on, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. See Twitter? (laughs) If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. Let every response on Facebook be good and helpful (laughs) so that your words will be an encouragement to those that hear them. So that your words, so that what you communicate will be an encouragement to those who hear it. You know, a great rule of thumb is that if people find out what you said about them, they'll be encouraged for it. You know, when you talk about others, when you text about others, 
And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way that you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. And he just, he sums, everything he said here, he just sums it up into two sentences. He says, get rid of all bitterness, all rage, all anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. And instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. You know what, the, the thing about this? You can't do any of these things by yourself. You can't do any of these things as you read your Bible and pray alone. All of that takes place in community. All of that. I can't, I can't be kind to me. I can only be kind to you. I, can't, I can speak words of life to me, but really, in my communication, that's just weird. We can only do this. This can, this, this can only be followed if we do it together. This can only have an impact if we live in community. Oh, so much. What did resurrection life look like? My wife wrote this, so I'm stealing it. But I think she wrote it anyway. She put it in notes, and then I took it out of her notes. <laughs> Everybody needs a good, smart person around them so they can steal their ideas. Resurrection day was a normal work day. She said that already. Resurrection life showed up in the ordinary, at a meal, on the road, at the beach, unrecognizable to some. Resurrection life showed up teaching scripture, showing us how to understand the Bible, walking on the road with friends, making breakfast for friends, encouraging friends at work, giving friends a job, helping friends do their job, reassuring the scared, speaking peace to doubts, challenging the skeptics, redirecting the wayward, forgiving and blessing. And maybe it's doing these things. That's where resurrection power starts showing up. It's the way we live our ordinary days with a commitment to be filled with God's spirit and let that flow to the world around us. Let's stand up. Father, we pray that as we reflect on the Resurrection Sunday, that this, this was the first day of the work week. This was a day that you showed up in the ordinary to transform people in an extraordinary way. As, a, as we go through our routines, as we go through our week, that you wanna transform our everyday to reflect your kingdom, to reflect your, your heart, and you want to transform us in our relationships, in our interactions, in our attitudes. You want to bring hope. Not hope for a certain outcome, but hope.
that you will be with us despite the outcomes, that you never leave us, you never forsake us, you will never abandon us. You will be with us. Thank you, Father. I'm just going to pray a prayer. And maybe you're here today and you've actually never said yes to the purpose of Christ for your life. You've never said yes to following him. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer that is a prayer saying yes to following Jesus. And if you want to be included in that prayer, whether you're in this room or you're watching online at this time, uh, you can just join us as we pray together. Let's pray, Jesus, I say yes to you. I want to follow you. I want to experience your resurrection life in my life. I want you to transform my heart to be a heart filled with faith and hope and love. I want to follow you. I want to follow what you've taught so that I can live a life filled with truth and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.